This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 59, part 6 in the 100 Miler History featuring Arthur Newton, one of the greatest British ultra runners ever who ran 100s in the 1920s and 1930s. He was also a five-time winner of the classic Comrades Marathon, 54 miles, in South Africa. Yes, Comrades, which has been held for more than 90 years. The early history will be told. Wow, that's cool, man. Now to the story. A hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles, a hundred miles. You can hear the whistle blow. A hundred miles. Arthur Newton of England, South Africa, and Rhodesia was a rare ultra-running talent who had world-class ability in nearly all the ultra-running distances from 50k to 24 hours. Newton learned most of his serious running on a farm in remote Africa and was bold enough to step onto the world stage and beat everyone. His dominance in the early years of South Africa's Comrades Marathon helped the race get off the ground to become the oldest and largest ultramarathon in the world. But Newton's best distance was 100 miles. With only a few 100-mile races to compete in during the 1920s, he resorted to participating in highly monitored solo events to prove that a farmer from Africa was the best in the world, and he was. Arthur Francis Hamilton Newton was born in England. His father, Henry, was a clerk in the Church of England. At age seven, he started to live in boarding schools full-time. During his school years, he was active in soccer, cricket, and tennis, but never had any particular interest in running. After graduation in 1901, at the age of 18, he thought he would become a teacher. His father instead wanted him to be a clerk and sent him to South Africa to join two brothers who were living in Durban. He tried the clerk career for a couple years, but it was not for him, so he began teaching in the province of Natal. He was a regular smoker, living a rather sedentary life. He explained, I knew I should be able to get a better job of my mental work if I made certain of a healthy physique, so I started a daily walk, whether I liked it or not. Newton's first running race took place at the age of 24 in 1908. It was an 11-mile go-as-you-please race in a small rural town of Holwick. He was one of eight runners who took part and he finished in fourth place with a time of 90 minutes. He soon started to win some races. On a long excursion to the mountains, he ran out of cigarettes and was convinced by a friend to start using a pipe instead. In 1909, his father found him a job as a tea planter in Ceylon, where the family had previously lived when his father was working as a civil engineer. So he returned to England, but by the time he arrived, the opportunity was gone and he was without permanent work. He joined the Thames Hare and Hounds Cross Country Club, the oldest such club in the world. He finished third in his first race and continued to excel in others. 
For years, Newton would wear the cross-country X on his racing jerseys. He said, Several weeks at home just idling around proved too much, and I told my father that I wanted to get back to South Africa. He said he had guessed as much, and perhaps I had better go. So back to Natal I was sent and accepted a position as a tutor on a farm near Harding. By 1911, Newton became a farmer. He bought 1,350 acres from the government with the help of his father. He worked hard in an environment of solitude and also did some cross-country running. His farm initially was 10 miles from the nearest road and only connected by footpaths. He would frequently run to and from his mailbox several miles away from his house. Black indigenous Zulu lived on his land and paid some rent. During World War I, starting in 1914, Newton desired to serve and was assigned to a detachment called the Natal Light Horse, fighting against the white boars who had sided with the Germans. He became a military messenger and used his motorcycle to deliver messages. When his service ended, he returned to his farm in 1918 and found it in a state of neglect. Grass fires had destroyed about two-thirds of his grazing land. Newton wanted to convert his land to be more profitable to cultivate cotton and tobacco. But the Zulu tenants on his land objected changing their centuries-old lifestyle. They did not want to become farm laborers and earn wages. It was a clash of culture, race, and politics. The government started relocating more blacks to live in the area around Newton's farm, and with the current conditions in the country, they did not trust the white Englishman. He asked the government to exchange his farm for another farm in a white area, but the Department of Native Affairs refused. This led to a standoff between the farmer Newton and the South African government. Newton became convinced that the reason the government was treating him so poorly was because he was unknown to them. He decided that he needed to make himself famous. He came up with a bizarre idea. He decided that his route to be famous was to become an elite runner. I took up long-distance running solely with the object of focusing public attention on the treatment to which I had been subjected. He set his sights to win the new annual 54-mile Comrades Marathon that ran between Durban and Peter Maritzburg. In 1922, Comrades would be run for the second year. In January 1922, at the age of 38, Newton seriously thought he could win comrades with less than five months serious training after nearly 10 years without consistent training. The first comrades marathon had been held on Empire Day on May 24, 1921. Among the thousands of men who fought in that war and survived was a humble engine driver from Peter Maritzburg in Natal, South Africa. His name, Vic Clapham. A thoughtful gentleman, Clapham was devastated by the brutality of the war. Back home, he was determined to create a memorial to them. He wanted a living memorial, something that was alive and breathed and could grow over time. He decided to create a road race, but not just any road race. It had to be long, challenging and demanding of all those characteristics he saw in his comrades during the war. He decided that the race would be between his hometown of Peter Maritzburg and Durban, 56 miles or nearly 90 kilometers away. The distance was extreme and the roads between the two cities were rough, untarred and extremely hilly. Vic Clapham's Comrades Marathon was about to happen, but no one, least of all Clapham himself, could have foreseen just what a magnificent event it would turn into. 
Clapman had been inspired by the 52-mile London to Brighton races before World War I. See episode 58. The first Comrades Marathon took place on Empire Day 1921, when 34 runners set off from Peter Marisberg City Hall on a journey that would change the face of sport in South Africa forever. Eight hours and 59 minutes later, a dishevelled, exhausted Bill Rowan arrived in Durban as the race's first winner. Fifteen other men finished that day. The Comrades Marathon was good to go. The inaugural Comrades race with 34 runners received good newspaper press coverage and Newton noticed. In preparing for the 1922 Comrades race, Newton, age 38, established a serious training program using any literature he could find on the subject. This ultra distance would be much further than his cross-country races of previous years, and he believed he was old, so thought it would be hard on him. My condition was quite reasonably good. I could walk 15 to 20 miles in a day over rough country without becoming exhausted. So I was surprised to find that two miles of running were altogether beyond me. After that, I was so abominably stiff that I cut out running for a day or two and walked instead. Running started to become easier. He timed all his runs, trying to improve them on particular routes. After a failed long test run, he went away from his time trials, ignoring his watch. Instead, he concentrated on distance, not speed. He discovered the benefit of the long, slow run. His big race came, the 1922 Comrades Marathon. There were 89 runners who started at 6 a.m. They came from all walks of life with some experienced runners. They were cheered on by a crowd of 2,000 people followed by helpers in cars, rickshaws, bicycles, and motorbikes. Newton held back his pace and was made fun of by some spectators for being in the back of the pack. But soon he started to move up and pass runners. He was mid-pack by the halfway point and still not worried about the front runners. By mile 30, he passed the previous year's winner, Rowan, who went out too fast and was battling cramps. Only three other men were ahead. By mile 38, during a grueling climb, Newton spotted the leader, Purcell, as a white speck going over the top. Newton soon went into the lead. He quickly built a large 30-minute lead over the runners limping behind him. Nearing the finish, Newton recalled, With a swarm of cars and cycles behind, I guessed there would be a crowd ahead. The moment I was sighted, I saw people beginning to run, and in less than a half minute, there was a dense crowd. The people swarmed up so suddenly from every side that I was only just able to get through with the aid of the police. At the sports ground, he ran on the track, and thousands cheered him as he ran the last stretch around the track. At last, I saw the tape ahead and ran to it in a tumultuous roar and cheering from all sides to get a handshake from the city mayor. Newton finished in 8.40, nearly 20 minutes faster than the first year's winner. The local newspaper took up his case and wrote that it was deplorable how the government treated Newton, a former soldier, in regards to his farm difficulties. He became a national star overnight and quickly became determined to continue competing and lobbying the government. But he had to put away his farming dream in order to train. Newton competed again at the 1923 Comrades, this time running the down course. He dominated and reached the finish faster than anyone thought possible. 
The officials were not yet prepared for his arrival. One man, however, happened to spot me shortly before I reached the sports ground and dived through a broken fence as a shortcut, was able to gather another man inside and arrive at the finishing post just in time to hold up the tape and read the watches. He finished in 6 hours 56 minutes, nearly an hour ahead of the second place runner. But the fame was not enough to produce the results he hoped for. It looked as though nothing less than world's records would bring the publicity I knew was required. His weekly training miles reached as much as 253 miles in a week. In 1923, Newton wanted to go after the amateur 50-mile world record of 6 hours 13 minutes, but didn't want to run on a track because he thought that the monotony of running circles on a track was awful. So instead, a 25-mile length was measured on the road used by the Comrades Marathon. Newton's attempt was made on June 29, 1923, just five weeks after Comrades. He started at 7 a.m. The official cars had to stay well behind or in front of him to avoid kicking up large clouds of dust. To counter skepticism about the measurement with automobile odometers, he stunned officials by running an extra 200 yards at the 25-mile turnaround. Hey, hey, come back here! At the finish, a large crowd gathered and the police kept a lane open for him to run for the last half mile. The stands were full at the showground, and they made a mighty roar as he came into view. He increased his pace to six-minute mile pace to push for the record. He succeeded and broke all world fastest known 50-mile times with five hours, 53 minutes. The British sporting press scoffed at the idea of accepting a world record on a dusty road in Africa. Weeks later, he received a letter from London from the Amateur Athletics Association stating that since he ran on the road rather than on a measured track, that his time would not be recognized as a world's best. He was encouraged to come to England and run London to Brighton. Newton made no progress with his disputes with the government and his South African supporters were seriously worried that the greatest long distance runner ever from South Africa was about to leave the country. Before the 1924 Comrades Marathon, the government again rejected his request for compensation for his farm losses. At Comrades, Newton dominated the field again, and he won for the third time in a row. But he made the decision to return to England. Newton wanted to prove to the British skeptics that his 50-mile record was valid. Before he left South Africa, the government officials changed their tune and promised to repair the wrong he had experienced if he would come back. Newton said he would. He went to England on a ship and each evening when the deck was less crowded, ran 20 miles. In England, arrangements were made for a solo London to Brighton run by representatives of the British Amateur Athletic Association. He was bothered by a swollen shin and ankle, but went ahead with the run. Newton's attempt for the London to Brighton record was made on October 3, 1924. He proved his point and finished 6 hours 11 minutes, which was faster than the course record by about 23 minutes. He passed through the 50-mile mark in 5.57, a bit slower than his time in South Africa. British skeptics thought due to recent road improvements that the route had been shortened but re-measurements found it to be 52 miles, 200 yards. He became the talk of the town and was interviewed on BBC Radio. 
Not satisfied with his performance, wanting to break five hours on the course, Newton, age 41, repeated the run the following month on November 13, 1924, in bad weather that was preceded by 36 hours of continuous rain. Newton had to splash through many unavoidable puddles along the way, and his legs started to feel terribly cold. At 20 miles, I found it was getting actually painful to put each foot on the ground. I had by this time lost control of my fingers and began to feel really uncomfortable. After a rest and hot tea, he pressed on and finished with a time of 5.53 and a 50-mile split of 5.38, crushing his world-best 50-mile time. News of his amazing accomplishment was published widely across the world and thought to be a record never to be broken. But the British Amateur Athletic Association surprisingly announced that neither of his London to Brighton runs would officially be recognized as records because they were solo runs, not accomplished in a race. This greatly annoyed Newton, who said, It would have been a mere farce to invite self-confessed insufficiently athletes to compete. He pointed out that the timekeepers were both vice presidents of the AAA and added, the British AAA took not the slightest notice of either run. As far as they were concerned, no runs took place. The times were correct and quite above suspicion. Newton left England on November 27, 1924, sailing on the SS Bendigo bound for South Africa. With changes politically in the government while he was away, the promises made to him were gone. He decided to sell his farm. Once more my funds were exhausted, and consequently there was nothing for it but to clear out of South Africa and make for the nearest country where reason and justice were understood and valued. Newton decided to start making plans to leave South Africa and go to the nearby country of Rhodesia, which was a British colony. He did not want to make a public fuss, so left privately one night with the quest to walk 770 miles to Rhodesia. He was poverty-stricken, had been living on kind charity of a hotel owner, and knew that the arrangement could not continue. He would go into exile. Six years of real sporting fight had changed me from an active and prosperous farmer to an energetic and all but penniless tramp. The South African news soon noticed that he was gone, initially worried about him, and speculated why he had disappeared until several days later he had been seen on the road. After a few days, he started to accept offers for rides in cars and received kind room and board. It took him nearly three months to arrive at Rhodesia. The Natal newspaper in South Africa was so sad to see him go and organized a shilling fund of donations for Newton and sent him 1,200 pounds, which he humbly accepted. When competing, Newton started to wear on his jersey Natal in honor of his former longtime South African home and Rhodesia, his new home. In 1927, with the encouragement of a running friend of the Balawaya Harriers Club, he set a goal to run 100 miles. He had never run further than the 54 miles at Comrades and knew that special training would be needed to do such an extra long run. To me, 100 miles is not that far. Newton knew that in order to accomplish an exceptional 100-mile time, he needed other runners to compete against. He could not find any willing competitors to race 100 miles, so for his attempt, he recruited a relay of six runners from the Harriers Club. For his 100-mile run, he chose a flat 100-mile road course 
from Guru to Bulawayo in today's Zimbabwe, with only about 1,500 feet of climbing along the way. The course was carefully measured using a measuring wheel, and Newton added a quarter mile just to make sure he reached 100 miles. On July 11, 1927, at 6.10 a.m., Newton set off to run 100 miles for the first time after eating a large breakfast. It was dark at first, but an official car about 50 yards behind me floodlighted the road which had quite a decent surface, and I ambled along at a serenely easy 7 miles per hour. Between miles 25 and 45, the temperature rose to an uncomfortable level. He stopped to cool off at a roadside pool. At the halfway point, he stopped at a hotel for a pre-order lunch. My fodder was soup, chicken and vegetables and a fruit pie. Twelve minutes later, I was on the road again, climbing a gentle gradient on my way to Balawayo. After 70 miles, the sun began to set. The car floodlighted the road while I crept steadily on, feeling that there was still a chance that I might reach the end, though I was in for a real bad time. Every nerve and fiber seemed to be crying for rest. A crowd of 300 greeted him at the finish at King's Ground. He had beaten his relay team by a few minutes and finished in 14 hours, 43 minutes, which was believed to be an amateur 100-mile world record. At the finish, Newton placed his feet in a bath of hot water, smoked a pipe, and drank some drinks. His 100-mile run was not recognized by the British Amateur Athletic Association because of doubts over the expertise of the Rhodesian officials. This was a disappointment to him. He wanted Rhodesia to claim a world record. Skeptics in England made noise again, which bothered Newton's friends in Rhodesia. These good people there decided to take steps to send me to England to attempt a better time under more favorable conditions. Feeling that I now knew something of what was needed for this type of race, I willingly agreed. Funds were raised to allow him to travel to England. He left during the autumn of 1927. Joe Binks of News of the World sponsored arrangements for Newton to make a 100-mile record attempt in England on Bath Road from Box to Hyde Park Corner. Binks recruited a four-man relay team to run against Newton and made sure the press and public were aware of the event. Newton hoped to break 14 hours. Weather leading up to the run was poor, with much snow. Four days before the 100-miler, rain came, which resulted in severe flooding. Newton started his 100-mile journey on January 7, 1928 at 2 a.m. from the Bear Inn in the village of Box near Bath. Olympic sprinter Harold Abrahams, depicted in Chariots of Fire, was at the start to watch Newton begin. I've never seen such drive, such commitment in a runner. He runs like a wild animal. Despite the early morning start, many men on bicycles followed after him. The snow was mostly gone, but some fierce winds with rain made the going tough. Still, many people in each town came out to loudly cheer and watch the spectacle. He kept pace with the relay runner who was only going 25 miles, but then he started to struggle, feeling ill. By 40 miles, his illness was pretty evident to his crew, but he was still ahead of schedule. Hot tea helped and he stopped for 10 minutes to eat a breakfast of minced beef. The sickness continued and the relay team had a big lead. He tried drinking his magic drink of lemonade and salt often, 
but could not take in any solid food. It was reported, His lower half was by now filthy with the muddy water, splashed up by his own feet, and he became wetter still when going through Maidenhead, parts of which were completely underwater. Temporary wooden walkways had been put in place over the water which Newton used. At 70 miles, Newton was sick, and his progress over the last 30 miles was unusually slow. He kept plugging away doggedly, though obviously distressed. Coming into London, some enthusiastic spectators slapped him hard on the back as he passed, sometimes spinning him completely around. Soon he was able to speed up. By 12 hours, he reached 87 miles and was accompanied by many bicyclists. At mile 95, he called out, How far? He was mobbed by the crowd, which the police tried to hold back. Dozens of noisy kids ran along close behind him. These received irritated looks from Newton, worried that they would clip his heels. At 4.30 p.m., he approached the finish at Hyde Park. Movie men filmed, and the road was packed with people, cars, and horses. Before reaching the official finish line, he appeared to falter. He was then seized by two or three enthusiasts, but shook them off and ran on across the finish line in 14 hours, 22 minutes, breaking his previous record. He was disoriented and swept up, taken to a nearby hospital. The crowd chanted, We want Newton! Some tried to storm the hospital entrance to see him. After 10 minutes of recovery, he came out of the doors and thanked everyone. He knew that he could run 100 miles much faster. Congratulations poured in, including from the Chancellor of Rhodesia. In 1931, Newton organized his own event in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada to attempt to break the 24-hour long-time world record of 150 miles set by Charles Rowell back in 1882. The 24-hour race was an invitation-only event and some of the most talented ultra-runners of the time came. It was held at Hamilton's ice hockey and skating arena. The wooden track covered with felt and paper was tiny, 13 laps to a mile in an odd square shape with bank corners. On April 4, 1931, the outdoor event took place. Mike McNamara from Australia reached 100 miles in 14 hours, 9 minutes, and then decided to quit. Newton had hoped that McNamara would continue, giving him someone to battle for 24 hours. He tried not to look at the clock and pushed ahead at about 8.5 minute mile pace. As he got close to the 150 mile world record, he increased speed to an astonishing 6 minute mile pace. When time was called, Newton set a new world 24 hour record of 152 miles, 540 yards, circling the arena 1,926 times. His record would last for 22 years until broken by South African Wally Hayward. As his 50th birthday approached in 1933, Newton wanted to try to break the 100-mile world record again before retiring. For training in March 1933, he ran an amazing 1,084 miles, including a 270-mile week. His attempt was made in the heat of the summer in July 1, 1933, again on the Bath Road. But by 86 miles in less than 12 hours, he developed bad heat stroke and had to quit. Unwisingly, Newton decided to try 100 miles again just three weeks later on July 22, 1933. He was desperate to make amends. 
His Achilles became inflamed with a week to go, but he was determined. This attempt was also a failure. He quit after 30 miles, seriously injured, and couldn't run again for 10 months. Finally recovered from his injuries, Newton wanted to try for the 100-mile record one last time in 1934. July 20th was the day chosen. I went down to Bath once more. It was neck or nothing this time, and I knew it. Already 51 years old, I couldn't expect to keep up 700 to 800 miles a month on my feet indefinitely. This time, Newton succeeded at completing 100 miles in 14 hours, 6 minutes, which beat his best time by 16 minutes and better than McNamara's time set in Canada during Newton's 24-hour race. But Newton was disappointed that he did not break 14 hours. He knew at 51 his age was now a slowdown factor. He knew that would be his last 100 miler. There remained only one useful alternative, and that was to put my experience at the disposal of other athletes so that they could carry on where I had left off. Others did come in future years and broke his Bath Road 100 mile record. Later in 1934, Newton announced his retirement from competitive running. He had run more than 100,000 miles during his career. Even though he no longer raced, he continued to give back to the sport through coaching, writing books, and helping other ultra runners break records. Walter George, who once held the mile world record, wrote, Newton is unquestionably the most phenomenal distance runner the world has ever known. No man in the past has succeeded in doing what he has done, and it may be centuries before his records are surpassed. In 1951, he was the driving force for reviving the London to Brighton run. He was still revered in South Africa, a legend of the Comrades Marathon. By 1955, Newton's health was seriously failing, including blindness, making any running impossible. At age 72, he was still able to go out for long walks. During the summer of 1959, it was evident that his time was coming to an end after suffering a minor stroke. He died on September 7, 1959 at Hillingdon Hospital at age 76. Sadly, Newton soon became forgotten by most. In South Africa, he is still remembered the most for being a founding father of the Comrades Marathon. At the course's halfway point near Drummond, there is a landmark that runners look for called Arthur's Seat. It was known to be Newton's favorite resting spot during his five comrades' wins. A comrade's legend is told about Arthur's Seat that if a runner leaves a flower, tips their cap, and says, Good morning, Mr. Newton, that they would experience a strong second half of their race. Stay tuned for more of the history of 100 milers. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>